Good morning, everyone. I um, trust that uh, some of you are able to, to join uh, online this morning. As you can see, um, uh, we're not having a formal worship service this morning. I, I'm not going to try to do Tommy's job and sing for anyone. I, I think that would probably uh, uh, you know, discourage most of you from remaining online and in viewership. So um, I'm just going to have uh, this morning, I think it's just best we perhaps just do a simple format uh, have a time of Bible study. We're going to continue in the book of Ephesians this morning. Um, in Ephesians chapter 5, we're just going to pick up with the, the verses that uh, Josh left off with a few weeks ago. Josh left off with chapter 5, verse 10. So this morning, we're going to take a look at verses 11 through 14 of uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Um, I want to uh, express some appreciation to uh, Zach Marquis, who is actually behind the camera and he's behind the scenes and uh, making this broadcast possible. So I'm grateful for him. Uh, grateful that the Marquis family is, is doing better. And um, so um, grateful that you all hopefully are able to, to tune in this morning. And um, and so here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Uh, I know uh, this morning I, I've got my cell phone here. So if there are any prayer requests or anything that perhaps are, are, are news or anything that you want me to mention uh, I, I will, I will be happy to do that. Um, uh, you know, provided that it's, uh, not, you know, anything that's too, you know, confidential or anything, but, um, but certainly, uh, feel, you know, feel free to, to send me a message or anything if necessary of anything that might need to be announced or whatnot. Um, you know, I hope that, um, uh, we want to continue to pray as you know, I, we've had, um, just so many in our church family right now that are, uh, that, that are, that have, uh, that are with COVID-19 have been diagnosed with that are trying to, to, to recover and get over that. Uh, we're grateful for the prayer requests and things, uh, answered prayers that we've seen, uh, particularly with, with, um, you know, Miss Vicki so far. And, uh, we know, um, that, uh, cases are still mounting. We know that, uh, some, some are on the back end of this cycle. Some are just in the beginning of that. Some are in between and, so we just have a lot of needs right now for prayer among our church family. And so let's just continue to be in prayer for each other and just, and, and just encourage each other. Um, we're probably not going to be, you know, sharing meals with everybody <laughs> for some time until we, everybody can kind of get all this out of their household. Um, but, uh, we'll just trust that you'll be able to feed yourself well. So anyway, but we do love you and grateful that, um, and that we just have some time to be able to come together, even if it is just for a brief Bible study this morning uh, in Ephesians 5. I want to continue to pray for, uh, um, you know, for our, our um, just for all the households uh, of our church. So uh, Josh uh, Gervasio was supposed to be uh, preaching uh, this Sunday morning, but then obviously all those plans change and a lot of all what happened. So uh, this morning, um, pray your, for your patience with me as we just kind of uh, just walk our just walk our way through work our way through uh, Ephesians five uh, this morning. So, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up with uh, a word of prayer, and uh, we're going to read the text first. And as I mentioned, the text that we're going to cover is uh, verses eleven through fourteen of Ephesians chapter five. But I'm just going to back up and we'll just read verses one through fourteen just to gain the sense of context this morning. So. 
Paul, who wrote in to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 5, 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you, gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know that with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God of Christ. Excuse me, the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And that's where Josh Gravasio left off a few weeks ago. So here's our text this morning. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them or reprove them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, awake sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And let me just read verse 15 because it does tie in well. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. And we'll pick up there um, next week. So, Father, this morning as we, uh, as we uh, discuss these few verses this morning, pray, Lord, that you'll incline our hearts and our ears and our mind to knowing the word of the Lord. Father, help us be edified, even if we're having to tune in and watch online just help us to be edified and strengthened and encouraged by your word this morning, but Lord, also to be challenged by your word. Father, this is a challenging text. It challenges us to our core. It tells us specifically, Lord, what the word of God, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ has done to us. And now, Lord, what we are to do. Lord, it speaks of what has happened to us and it speaks, Lord, to what our mission is in Christ. And so this morning I pray, we will be challenged by the word of the Lord as we study this together this morning. God, for those who are in our, in our church uh, who remain battling this virus, we pray for their recovery, we pray for their health. We pray, Lord, that, um, um, for just that they would remember, Lord, that you love them, their church family loves them, and God, that they are, uh, that they are in your care. So help us all, Lord, and help us, God, to, to be able to recover from this sickness so we can be together again uh, very soon, Lord, for uh, my heart deeply desires to be with my brothers and sisters on the Lord's day. And so, Lord, although we've been uh, set back for a moment today, Lord, we look forward to coming together again and fellowshipping in the name of our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it is in his name, Lord, that we offer prayer through faith and for your glory and ask for your assistance. Amen. All right. Well, um, you know, this whole passage uh, in Ephesians 5, I'm just going to work my way through it. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, and by the way, if, if a, I mean, this sounds kind of odd, but if you have a question or something comes up as I'm talking about something in the text or whatever, feel free to shoot me a text. Let me know. Uh, I, I mean, I know some of you are champions at texting during church. So, you know, you can uh, send me a text message at uh, during the Bible study here if there's a question that you want to know. 
and I'll be happy to try to uh, answer as best I can uh, for you. But, you know, one of the things is that um, w- what we learn, and as I read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 there, you know, th- this all started with Paul commanding to be imitators of God. And that kind of follows on the heels of chapter 4, verse 32, if you notice at the end as well, right? That we are to... Uh, be kind to one another. Why? Because God in Christ has been kind to us. He's forgiven us of our sins. And then, of course, in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we are then commanded to be imitators of God as as well. And so, um, and, and after that, uh, what follows in beginning in verses 3 and following is a series of ethical injunctions. In other words, um, a, a specific series of ethical commands that Paul gives here that's right after that. Um, it's a reminder. Um, it, it's, it's a reminder here that Christian conversion uh, is transformative. In other words, that as as we have become Christians, or because we we have become Christians and we've been granted new life, there are specific there are specific ethical commands, ethical injunctions that are now given because there's a great contrast of life from where we live, from how we lived formerly to how we live now. Uh, at least they're supposed to be. Um, you know, the, a popular saying goes that, uh, you know, contrast is the mother of all clarity. And perhaps that, that is the one thing that we can, we can say is that the, the greatest clarity, even before the world and even before our own lives, and for us being able to have a sense of testimony and a, a sense of confidence about our own salvation is the contrast of life before Christ and life after Christ. And so no, no greater evidence of a person's conversion uh, than their contrast of life before and after the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the contrast has specific moral clarity, you know, abandoning previous sins. Maybe it's changed relationships and, the, and of course, the, the change of the deepest desires that we have. All of these things that Paul uh, is addressing here that we now as being imitators of God, imitating God means we take on the likeness and the character of God. And that means specific um, attributes, qualities, ethics, lifestyle, all of those things. And so these are things we've, uh, we have taught on uh, as we have worked our way through the book of Ephesians. But what's really interesting is, uh, and what is the Paul is the point that Paul makes uh, next. If you recall, I mentioned this one time before, that the apostle deals with two types of deceit. Um, you notice in chapter 5, verse 6, he says, let no one deceive you, or, or excuse me, yeah, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. When we dealt with this before, we talked about that there's two different types of deception that are, that are being discussed here. The first type is what was back in chapter four, verse fourteen, and that was a deception that was taking uh, a deception that was preying on someone's ignorance. Paul warned in chapter four, verse fourteen, about false teachers that would come up and those who would try to distort the word of God and and teach the word of God in such a way as to be able to draw people or entice people away from pure theological doctrine of of uh, of the word of God by preying on people's ignorance, their lack of knowledge of the truth. Well, when we come here, however, in chapter 5, uh, verse 6, it's a different kind of deception. 
The kind of deception that Paul is referring to here is not, it's not dealing with someone's ignorance. Instead, this is the kind of deception that is, that is instead, it's appealing to our appetites or our desires to draw us away from walking as children of the light. So if you recall, um, it's the same kind of deception when I was teaching on this before, same kind of deception that Paul mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, when Paul was referring to how Eve was deceived by the serpent in the garden uh, it, by, by appealing to her appetites, appealing to her sense of desire. Uh, it, it, well, you know, he, he appealed to her appetite, to her lust, and to her sense of pride. And by appealing to those things, he was able to draw her away from, uh, you know, you know, you know, from allegiance to the Lord. It's not that she was ignorant. Now, she wasn't ignorant. In fact, the reality is she was just drawn away and led astray by her desires. And so that's exactly the, what Paul is warning about right here, that, that the, the tactics have not changed for Christ's people. Uh, and we must be wise and understand that there's constant temptation to lead me and to lead you away from the service to Christ and devotion to Christ and to his holiness by finding, here's the key, by finding other things that are more appealing. It's a, it's a temptation of being drawn away by desire. Very, uh, very important um, to understand that. And of course, you know, just to make a reference here to make some practical examples of this. I mean, it's not difficult to see this as happening all around us, even for those who claim to be Christians, right? I mean, people, people used, uh, they used to believe that appetites or desires were things that were to be controlled or to be, uh, restrained or to be disciplined, right? But today, uh, it's assumed that there should be no limit to satisfaction, no limit to do your desires, no limit to fulfilling whatever uh, makes makes you or makes oneself happy, right? Um, uh, Gene Edward Veith comments on some of this when he says that we see this most dramatically in the new uh, the, the sexual character of our age, right? When the issue of sex sex itself comes up. Uh, you, you know, people have desires, they have sexual desires, and especially those who are young people, and they cannot be expected to wait until marriage to, to have those desires fulfilled. And if someone uh, has the desire or an attraction for someone of their own sex, uh, they certainly can't be denied that because you certainly can't offer any kind of moral objections to that. And so Jean Edward Veith says, look, having sexual desire for someone even other than one's own spouse is considered now a valid reason for divorce and even abandoning one's children. Appetite supersedes all other considerations. That's the age in which we live. Appetite governs our economic lives. It serves as the engine of consumption, advertising, and our debt-based economy. He's exactly right. Everywhere around us, there's an absolutely no restraint on feeding our appetite. In fact, anyone who dares try to supply some kind of restriction on doing what you desire to do uh, is to be uh, obviously rejected and is even canceled out uh, in our new cancel culture that we live in, right? So before us, what's important for Christians in Ephesians chapter five, and what Paul is always, and what Paul is bringing before us, is that is that there is competition for another kingdom always before us and always around us. Before us is an endless world of serving our desires, serving our appetites, and the problem is that that has diminished and can diminish our desire for God. It can replace our hope 
in God for instant gratification. And it can even replace our desire for eternity with Christ because instead we're plagued with the fear of death. Uh, there's, um, you know, our, our society trains us to serve ourselves first. And nobody needs any help there. We actually get that pretty naturally. So uh, if you read the Bible long enough, you'll figure that out, right? I mean, our world has trained us to think about what we deserve. It's about what makes us happy. It's how things make us feel. And it's those, um, you know, it's those things that, uh, um, you know, that, that fulfill our interest, right? So living today a fulfilling life has obviously been hijacked by the evil one. It's been replaced by con artists. It's been replaced by substitutes that are out there. Uh, you know, such false ends as consumption, hedonism, workaholism, mindfulness, uh, irresponsibility, whatever else. And so, uh, you know, entertainment, um, entertainment, sports, credit cards, door delivery, cell phones, media, all these things have weakened the church's desire for eschatological hope. And it's crippled also, I would say, even our sense of urgency for the mission that we have as Christian people. Um, as one author said, you know, Nike said, just do it. But now just do it has morphed into just buy it, just plan it and just watch it. And so, um, but listen, knowing that and knowing that there's a strong warning here for deception, it occur in that this deception occurs both in knowledge and desire, which is what Ephesians is teaching is Paul appeals to those very items in our salvation and in our conversion and how, and, and, and how in Christ, how everything now changes for us as believers both in our knowledge and in our desires. Um, Paul uses very familiar imagery. In fact, probably when I was reading the text, you, you kind of heard this or, 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 or saw this as we were reading through it. Paul uses very familiar imagery in the Bible, especially used by the, uh, the, the Apostle John, of things like light and darkness. Light and darkness are set up to contrast both knowledge and desire with respect to a Christian's former life versus the life that we live now in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, this is what uh, Josh Gravasio was presenting to us a few weeks ago in chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. So the flow of argument here is clearly seen. I want you to follow with me as we, as we work through this, okay? Because there are three imperatives, three commands that are made here uh, in this entire section, and it's in verses 8 and then verse 11. The first imperative that's given here in, in the context of, of the argument is when Paul says that we used to be in darkness, but now in Christ we are to walk. There's your imperative. Walk as children of the light in verse 8. So there's number one. The second, the, the next two occur here in verses, in, both in verses, uh, excuse me, verse 11. I'll get my subject and verb agreement here right in just a moment. So uh, the second one is, do not be, do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness. So um, that word participate uh, could also be do not share, do not fellowship, have no participation basically in the works of darkness. That is the second, that's the second imperative here. So the first one is walk as children of light in verse eight. The second one is have no participation with the works of darkness. And then the last one is a lot, most of our Bibles will say, but we are to expose them at the end of verse 11. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I've got multiple translations up here. Yeah, most everyone translates the end of verse 11 saying, do not participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. The only exception to that would be the King James Version. And to be honest with you, I actually prefer that here. The King James 
And actually, we could translate that instead, saying that, that we are not only to avoid or to not participate in the works of darkness, but instead, we are, listen carefully what about, about what I'm about to say, we are to rebuke them. That is really a better translation. In fact, that's what the King James does here by uh, actually, uh, the, the King James Version actually uh, mentions here that we are to, um, to rebuke or to reprove them, which I like that. So in this case, I prefer the King James Version here, both in verse 11 and again, that word occurs in verse 13 for reproved as opposed to exposed. Um, and I think it's a better word choice, not because expose is somehow wrong. It's just that it's not completely adequate. It doesn't give the full sense of meaning uh, behind what, what the Apostle Paul is really trying to communicate here as the word reprove uh, really does. So um, let, me, let me give you an example, and an example out of classical Greek that perhaps may help you. So for example, I, I want to there is a, a New Testament scholar that I was reading who actually traced this particular word and traced it in the works of Plato and Aristotle and said that when you find this word used in classical Greek, it was actually used as a, to set up a series of logical uh, facts or a logical explanation of facts for the purpose of refuting an opponent in an argument. So in other words, um, uh, when this word is used, uh, you know, it, it was in, in classical Greek anyway, it was used as a way of organizing a specific series of facts uh, in order to basically to oppose or to argue against your opponent. So if you were debating someone, uh, this word meant that you were refuting them based upon your collection of facts or knowledge, and you basically were systematically organizing that to refute them or to reprove them or to tell them where they were specifically wrong. I think that helps us to understand kind of even what Paul means here, right? That, that exposing here is not enough. Paul doesn't mean that we just expose it in the sense that, well, we just shine a light on it and therefore then we just back away from it. No, exposing here actually is more, it's, it's, it's verbal. It's an imperative. It's something that we do. And that's what's important here. So this, this is the knowledge case where we must be aware. It, it is not just, not just being aware so that we're not deceived, but it is also um, of how we specifically address deeds of darkness. So there's a there's a noun component to the function of light here, and there's a verbal component to the function of light, right? So we, we do not participate in deeds of darkness because we have been regenerated in our desires. We've been renewed in our minds, and we must understand now from God's word how to refute works of darkness. Uh, that's kind of, that's the point that Paul's making, these three imperatives that we mentioned here. So as I mentioned, two of these imperatives occur just in verse 11. And so let's kind of learn a little bit here on how we refute the works of darkness. So the first one is that we have, Paul says in chapter 5, verse 11, that we are not to participate in unfruitful works of darkness. And then the second one, as I said, is that we are to reprove or refute these works. And so before we go any further, I want to, uh, I probably should just remind ourselves that, you know, of what we're what's being called, what, what we are being called here to reprove, uh, because most of our Bibles will translate, uh, it, it says in, in chapter five, verse 11, that we are to expose them. And then in chapter five, verse 12, 
it is disgraceful to speak of the things done by them uh, in secret, or as the ESV says, things they do in secret. So who is the them and what is the them? Well, we need to be clear on what we're, um, on what we're called to reprove here. So in verse 11, it is the works of darkness. The, the them in verse 11 is specifically the actions of the works of darkness, okay? And then in verse 12, Paul is actually referring back to who he was mentioning in verse 6. Remember what he said in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. So that's the them of verse 12. So here, when Paul's mentioning you know, what it is that we are to refute, it's two things. It's both the deeds of darkness, and it's also those who are, you know, who are orchestrating the works of deception uh, that, are, uh, that are causing us or tempting us towards the desire uh, for, um, for deeds of darkness. And so um, there are those who are attempting to introduce teachings or persuasions that sound biblical, but ultimately they're used to justify unfruitful deeds of darkness, um, and that's what's going on here. Paul, uh, Colossians chapter two, verse eight, Paul mentioned the exact same thing, right? He talked about the, the, he says, make sure that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception, according to, you know, teachings of men, according to elementary principles of the world rather than Christ, right? Uh, Paul's warning, uh, it consists of a, of a variety of things. There are, listen, there are obvious examples of things that are wrong, obvious examples of, uh, of things that are worthy of refuting and things that we can clearly point out are wrong, whether it's a history of cult leaders in our world throughout, uh, uh, you know, uh, throughout history, um, you know, uh, health and wealth preachers, psychological self-help teachers. Uh, I mean, there's uh, even the advocates of the, the gay Christian um, you know, churches, uh, you know, as a video I watched the other day of, you know, a church that was celebrating and applauding a seven-year-old little girl that came out, uh, you know, uh, claiming that she's now, you know, transgendered and uh, she now believes she is a boy and all of these things. So you have all these kinds of perverting concepts of God's love, uh, perverting concepts of things that God would accept and whatnot. So those are very obvious examples of things that we see around us in our culture. But there's also less obvious examples as well too. For example, you think of um, maybe like highly legalistic environments or legalistic cultures, or legalistic church cultures. Um, you know, maybe where, uh, you know, you know it, it, one's Christian life has been all about things you can't hear, can't see, can't watch, can't do, all of that stuff. And the problem is, is that somehow too, that having such a restrictive aspect or, or mindset can, can lead to self-righteousness. It can lead to pride. It can lead to a replacing of genuine faith and trust for salvation and instead lead to a salvation by works almost, right? And on top of that, it can actually lead to rather than uh, loving your neighbor that Christ calls us, uh, calls us to do, it can cause us instead to despise our neighbor because if perhaps people don't measure up to our own moral standards. And so the reality is, you know, Deceptive teachings and wrongful teachings and these things can occur in a variety of contexts. It can occur, you know, from the most strict legalistic environments all the way up to uh, to the most, uh, you know, uh, to very um, um, you know perverse environments of um, you know uh, uh, you know gay churches or whatever else. So um, we we just have to be on guard against all those things. So all because all around us there are deceivers. People that advocate wrong teachings, they prey on our desires, and they lead us down the pathway of sin. And so 
Um, look, both these things are in view. Paul is saying we, we have to expose the deeds of darkness and we have to expose the workers of darkness, those who are the deceivers of darkness, right? Uh, why? Because deceivers love company. Uh, you know, the, uh, the country singer John Anderson uh, said, you know, there's no happiness and misery if, it, if there isn't anybody close enough to care. And so, you know, I, and, you know and the Apostle Paul uh, kind of says the same thing as well. Um, in, in Romans chapter one, if you remember in Romans chapter one, there's always, you know, Paul speaks about how there are those who try to justify their own sinfulness against God. They're trying to justify their own wayward desires by recruiting other people. Because the more people that I have around me that are doing and participating in the same things that I'm doing, then, then it makes my conscience feel less condemning, right? So the Bible warns about this in Romans chapter one, verse 32. He says, they, although they know the ordinance of God, those who practice such things are worthy of death. They do the same thing. They not only do the same thing, but man, they give, they encourage others to do it as well. Um, uh, encourage others to practice it as well. Why? Because ultimately that's going to silence their condemning conscience. So, so Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 12, that for those who advocate deceptive teachings and practices, it's shameful to speak about the things that they do in secret. And what Paul has in mind here even is primarily sexual sins. It's the same thing that can be said in our own day. Uh, it's shameful and, and not even proper to mention all the forms of perversion and sexual sin that occur uh, even all around us. But uh, it's shameful and it's difficult to even think about the kinds of things that people find entertaining uh, as well. But without mentioning these very specific sins, Paul makes his point very, very clear that as Christians, we must refute anything that, that does not lead us towards the truth of Christ and walking in the light of Christ. And so the question for us now is how do we, how do, we do those things? How do we, how do we re refute those things? Well, first thing I'll say is, um, and this is really interesting, is that Paul points out that our reproof of, uh, that our reproof of dark works, first of all, comes through our lifestyle. Comes through our lifestyle because, um, as we mentioned, darkness and light are incompatible. And the fruit of manifestations, uh, the fruit or the manifestations of what they produce are extremely contrasting. And so you notice the word, uh, the words here in the text in, in, in Ephesians 5 here, the fruit of light is in verse 9, uh, mentioned here as goodness and righteousness and truth versus in verse 11 with unfruitful. The word unfruitful appeal, uh, uh, appears there. So Paul's mentioning, he's contrasting the words fruit and unfruitful here being very deliberate. So, you know, what, what is, uh, you know, what, what are the fruit, what is the fruit of light? Well, we have goodness and righteousness and truth, right? Goodness talking about moral quality, being very sincere and full of integrity. Righteousness being our, our very works. Um, our motives, our behaviors, our actions, our deeds, right? In truth, meaning our whole way of thinking, our whole view of reality, how we live, you know, um, you know, believing the, believing the truth and learning the truth and practicing the truth, promoting the truth, protecting the truth and pursuing the truth of the gospel. So these are the fruits of truth. Or these are the fruits of light. But Paul says, in verse 11, that we're not to participate in the unfruitful works of darkness. Um, and, and it's, uh, we don't, you know, basically by being abstinent from their participation, but we also, we bring, we bring light to those deeds as well. Uh, it's troubling to me, especially among younger Christians, how there can be 
uh, even today, you know, there's such a, um, just to give you an example here, you know, there, there can be, uh, it can be troubling to me how people can feel a sense of pride uh, in the freedoms that they can celebrate. One thing that I've noticed um, in, in Paul, you know, Paul talking here about abstaining or not not being engaged in works or deeds of darkness. Now, one thing that I, I've noticed is that um, people celebrate freedoms. Uh, they celebrate uh just sort of their ability maybe to, you know, to do, uh, you know, to be, you know, to do casual drinking or maybe to speak some profanity or maybe watch things that perhaps, you know, they, you know, that previous generations would not have watched before and all because they kind of have this prideful aspect about, you know, their Christian liberty and their, their conscience is not bound by those things. But the problem is you have to be extremely careful there because, you know, everything that we do, everything we do is to be done for the, for the mission of Christ's kingdom. You know, our Christian liberty is never meant to serve ourselves or to be practiced or to pre, be practiced in such a way that it's going to create confusion for somebody outside or even inside the church as to what the Christian life is supposed to look like. But instead, we are to use our freedoms in a way that is to promote the gospel. I mean, it's a very, very important thing, right? So we can't, uh, um, you know, we can't we just be careful the very things that we practice. We have to, Paul says, don't participate in unfruitful works of darkness. We have to make sure that even sometimes we're not participating in things that we're trying to justify as freedom. And in some ways it can create confusion to the outside world about whether or not uh, that's really living the life of contrast that the Bible is calling us to, right? So instead, the works of darkness here, Paul says, are unfruitful. I love that in verse 11. They're unfruitful in verse 11. You could say, rather than just unfruitful, you could say that they're barren or they're unproductive. In fact, all the pursuits of immorality and freedoms from, from God's righteousness and sexual freedom, consumption and greed, you know, there is always a problem that what those things produce are always barren. Um, think about that. The things that the world sets out and makes its and makes its ambition to pursue ultimately leave us with emptiness or fruitlessness or a barrenness. Um, you know, maybe a good example uh, for uh, a good example is uh, you know in sports. Um, you know, you may have a title of a season victory. Uh, you may have a national title, but then it's overtaken by the fact that you have to defend it in an entire new season. Uh, you know, you may enjoy a series on Netflix, but it's always hindered by the fact that uh, eventually there's only a, a finite number of episodes, right? Um, credit cards are great, but they have limits, right? Vacations are great, but they end. Um, you know, what we build deteriorates. What we, all the things that we can pursue and everything that we uh, the world has to offer in pursuing that. We know we can order it, we can eat it, we can protect it, we can prize it, we can put it in showcases and make trophies, we can brag about things. But the one thing that all worldly endeavors have in common is that ultimately they will not last. Uh, that's that's the common the common denominator, so to speak. And so, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're struck with the painful admission and the reality that even if we try to live uh, with ourselves at the center, the truth is that we're not at the center. That's hard to imagine. This is the, one of the things I think that's so critical for us to understand as believers and part of the, of the light that we have to expose. 
is that our whole world has made pursuing the self and making ourself the center, the center of our ambition and our pursuit of life. But the problem is, you know, when you look around, we're, we're, we're not the center. Uh, one author said that, you know, we'll not, we will not always be here. The universe will go on with us, uh, without us, even if, even as if we had never even been here before. Most people will never hear of us, even when we are here. And all too soon, it will be as if we had never been here at all. For almost all, but the tiniest handful of us, the day will come when there is no trace of us in the living memory of the earth. That was a pretty depressing thought, but it's true. It's the reality that when you make yourself the center or make pleasure or make desires or fulfilling your appetites, uh, when the, the pursuits of this world, when you make those things center, the, the, the problem is those things end up fruitless. They end up unproductive. Such a, so staring into this kind of reality should make us think about our life and what kind of, and what fruits exactly we are producing. Uh, you know, when I was a teenager, um, there was a popular t-shirt that people used to wear that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. And of course, shortly thereafter, somebody came out with a shirt right after that that said, you know, he who dies with the most toys still dies. So, you know, which is true, right? And so living in the truth though, gives us a sobering sense of living life for the things that are fruitful, living life for the things that are valuable, a life that is less on ourselves and more about the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life begins with new birth. Once we are born, once we're made alive, we do not pursue the things that bring darkness and death. But as Francis Schaeffer said, after we have been born, the important thing is that we begin living our lives in all of uh, in all their relationships and possibilities and capabilities. The important thing after being born is spiritually is to live. And I agree with that. I mean, we, we have to learn how to live and not to be uh, sucked into the deceptions of this present world that is causing us to live and, and even spend our time, something we'll talk about next week, spending our time on things that ultimately uh, are pointless and fruitless. Uh, very, very important. So um, second of all, let me say this. So we reprove, we reprove these works of darkness um, by, first of all, avoiding them through our lifestyle, right? So that was the first thing that we learned. We, we do not participate. We don't have fellowship with deeds of darkness. But the second one is we reprove them by actually dismantling their power. And so this is accomplished by the gospel. This, we, we, this word reproving, like I said, it's systematically destroying the works of darkness through pointing out what is wrong with them. That's what I love about this. So um, this is exposing and reproving. And so we're commanded to reprove the works of darkness and by bringing the light of the gospel to these works. It's not just, here, here listen to what I'm saying. By living in the, by walking as children of the light is not just not participating in deeds of darkness. That's just, that's half of it. The other half of it is this, that we then have to bring the light of the gospel to those things and expose what's wrong with them. That's the other part of this. That's what Paul means here with these two imperatives that were given to us in verse 11. The gospel, okay, we are commanded to reprove the works of darkness, bring the light of the gospel to them, to expose them. The gospel reveals how empty, how futile, how hollow, and how deceptive the, the pursuits of this world really are. 
and whatever glories or pleasures they offer us or what things that we are tempted to grasp, the problem is they're temporary. They fade, they die, they expire. And so what Paul is helping us to understand is that we do, we do not, uh, ex, we, you know, we not only expose the deeds of darkness by our lifestyle, but we have to bring the light of the gospel to it. We have to bring the light of the gospel to those that are teaching deception. We have to bring the light of the gospel to those who are practicing deception. We have to bring the light of the gospel even to our own lives and to making sure that we're searching out perhaps ways that we are being selfish or, or perhaps are making ourselves the center uh, as opposed to making the kingdom of God center as well. So, you know, we have to bring, in this case though, Paul is speaking more in a missional sense. We as believers live in such a way that we don't participate in the deeds of darkness, but at the same time, we, we have to have enough knowledge of the word of God and knowledge of the will of God in order to take the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those dark practices, to those who are, who are broadcasting deception and bring the light of truth to them. So very, very uh, important for us. So um, we have to be able to expose the vanity of dark deeds, yes, by our lifestyle, but by also bringing the gospel to them, to the deceivers and the works of darkness. The gospel we believe is the gospel of new creation. The world that we live in resides in spiritual darkness, just like the, the world was in, or the universe was in, or the cosmos was in physical darkness in Genesis chapter one, before God began to speak uh, uh, began to speak the word, uh, the word creation into it. And so, and just as, as God spoke, uh, said, let there be light in darkness and there was light. And so we speak the truth of the gospel in the spiritual darkness of our own age in order to bring light. Paul makes a great uh, comparison to that in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, when he says, God uh, we said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So a uh, powerful verse here. So the reproving work we're called to do is to expose the demonic and the fraudulent schemes of the evil one for what they are. And this entails, um, you know, when you, when you read this in Ephesians 5, uh, this entails our mission. We play both offense and we play defense. We defend our, our souls by not participating in the deeds of darkness, but then we attack the deceptions to expose their vanity and their fruitlessness. Light, as I said you know, earlier, is both a noun and a verb. Uh, the substance of the light is the word of God, the gospel message, the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, there's a lot that I'd like to talk about here, but I'm uh, just kind of rambling. So let me just... Let me let me mention this. Uh, if you if you turn to John chapter three for just a moment, uh, the Lord Jesus actually um, teaches here a, a, a very powerful teaching with respect to people's reaction to the light of the gospel. Something we have to be very careful um, uh, to understand here. In John chapter three verse sixteen, most of us are <laughs> been in around the church at any point in time. You have likely have memorized or at least know this verse of John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But he goes, but Jesus goes on to say as well, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, 
but that the world might be saved through him. Now, a lot of people stop there because that sounds great, but they got to continue to verse 18. But he who believes in him is not judged, uh, is not judged because he who does not believe has been judged already. So the, the entire world is already under judgment because of their unbelief. They're not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is, and so what is the judgment? Well, because he's not, they've been judged already because of verse 18, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And Jesus explains this in verse 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices or he who does or lives by the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought or done in God. You know, um, and the, the truth is that the, you know, we have a responsibility to know, to know the word of God and to, to have it so that we can't be deceived or taken, or, you know, be deceived by ignorance. But at the same time, we also have um, the challenge of being aware of even our own desires and how Satan uh, can use false teachers and can use the things of this world to draw us away. We have to be able to bring the light of the gospel into our own hearts. But more importantly, also, we have to be able to, as we are, as we are living in this present world, not just to to avoid living in certain ways that are sinful, but we also have to bring the knowledge of the truth of the gospel to the very practices and to the very philosophies, to the various things that are also um, uh, that are also empty and vain, the very damaging and deceptive schemes that are in the world. We have to bring the light of the gospel to those things. And Jesus says, look, the entire world is already judged. The entire world is already condemned and it's condemned because of its rejection of the truth. But the reality is the only way that the gospel, the only way that people are going to believe is if the truth is spoken. Paul says, just as God spoke and light came into the existence in the universe, so the light of the gospel must be spoken. God speaks through his word and through that, the light of Christ shines in the, you know, in the world and shines in the hearts of men. I mean, these are important things for us to understand. And Jesus says, look, we're, we're going to meet resistance, right? Because people love darkness more than they love light. People, uh, I mean, no, even none of, even all of us who name the name of Christ, none of us get particularly excited about others confronting us over our sin. None of us get excited about that. Nobody likes to have light exposed perhaps on darkness in their life. But that's what we're called to do as believers. But even as believers, we've also got to be aware of the darkness that is in the age in which we live as well. One of the things I'm particularly passionate about is making sure that our kids and uh, they understand um, that living in this world, um, that it's not, it's not enough that we just tell them, don't do these things because they're wrong. We also need to have an understanding of why the world does those things so we can speak intelligently the gospel to the world. We've got to be able to bring the light of Christ in a way, speak the gospel in such a way that is understandable, that helps people to understand both the darkness of sin, why people chase particular pursuits, and at the same time, uh, how the gospel meets, is the remedy, is the solution, is the answer for those kind of vain pursuits or whatnot. We've got to be able to arm 
uh, our kids, we have to be able to arm ourselves with a knowledge of the truth. And so um, we live in the we live in a world that is filled with darkness. And of course, darkness here is a euphemism for death. Um, the way that Jesus uses darkness, the way that Paul uses darkness here in Ephesians chapter five is much like the same way that Paul uses this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Uh, I don't have time to go there. I'm, I'm, I'm already over time now, but I'll just mention, but you, you will want to write down uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 10, because there, the way that Paul uses concepts like darkness is the same that he uses here in verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians chapter 5. And so, you know, the, the point is that the gospel as we not only not participate in deeds of darkness, but we begin to also expose them by bringing the light of the gospel. Um, Paul brings in verse 14, and we'll close with this. He brings in verse 14, this sort of, um, uh, this sort of the, a, a quotation that honestly, we, we really don't know where it came from. Uh, it's in verse 14. He says, for this reason, it says, awake sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. There's a, um, there, this is like a, it, it, it's, it could be a song, could be a hymn, could be a spiritual song. Maybe, maybe that's what Paul's referencing there in chapter five, verse 19, the sort of speaking in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs here. Um, but it, it, it maybe was something that was spoken at Christian, spoken at Christian baptisms. Not sure, but it's a quotation that he offers here that was spoken by the early church that helps us to visualize what the light of the gospel is like coming into the ears of those who are unbelievers and who are becoming believers. Awake sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. Here there's, you know, it, it, some people say this is a quotation from Isaiah 26, 19 or Isaiah 60 verses one and two. And that may be very, very possible. Certainly those are, are great allusions to that. But what Paul is doing here is showing that in, in this case, you know, the light of the gospel is, you know, when we, when we bring the light of the gospel to an unbeliever, it is like the rising sun. It is like the, the sun rising over a dark place and bringing light and exposing truth. And so you're literally calling those who are asleep, those who are dead. You are, by speaking the truth of the gospel, you are calling them to life. You're calling them to experience resurrection. You're calling them to experience new birth. You're, call, you're calling them to experience, you know, being able to do away with the vanities of this present world and the emptiness, the fruitlessness of the deeds of darkness in and now instead embracing the fruitful deeds of life, the light of the gospel itself. And so, you know, um, man, there's, uh, time goes quick. Um, but, but let me just close by, by pointing this out or just saying this to you uh, this morning. Um, it's our mission. Our, our, our mission is not just avoidance, but our mission is also to bring the truth. Our, being, being a good Christian, so to speak, is not just avoiding deeds of darkness, but we have the responsibility to, Paul says, to expose them or to reprove those things. It's not just enough to just avoid the deeds of darkness. We've got to be able to, we've got to be able to reprove those things. We've got to be able to rebuke those things. We've got to be able to speak and, and speak intelligently. 
we've got to help kids understand why is, you know, why is same-sex relationships wrong? Why is, you know, why is it if two people love each other and, are, and they are the same sex? Well, why is that something that must be condemned? Why is it if somebody is uh, dissatisfied with their gender? Well, what's wrong with them changing that? Um, you know, you know what, what are the dangers? What are things that are good and bad about artificial intelligence? You know, what is, what is wrong about, you know, you know, various, you know, medical ethics or whatnot, or, or things with technology and, you know, our cell phones. And what, what's the proper use of those kinds of things? I mean, what's the proper use of entertainment? What's the proper use of money? What's the proper use of all of those things? I mean, we have to be able to not just be in a position where we just condemn things. We've also got to be able to speak the light of the gospel in those things as well. Giving, um, you know, helping us helping those in our home, helping those in our church, and helping those even in the world to understand how God's word speaks to all of those things. So it's just a very important, uh, uh, it's very important that we're not, we're, not, we're not monks. We don't live in monasteries. We don't, you know, we are called to live in the world, but be not of the world. And we have to, and this, this, this text is challenging us to do that. Don't participate in deeds of darkness, but also instead, to those that are practicing those things and teaching those things, bring the light of the gospel to them. So that way, those who are asleep, the light of Christ will rise upon those who are dead. So, so it's a great passage. Um, and um, anyway, that's, that's all I got this morning. I mean, actually, I have a lot more, but time is what it is. Listen, I hope you do have an enjoyable Lord's Day. Um, I know it's tough not being together. It's awkward for me trying to teach through something um, uh, in this format, but I, I pray that the Lord can um, can make some kind of lemonade out of these lemons this morning. And uh, but look, I, I, I trust that um, trust that you'll be able to find some time as a family to spend some time in the Word of God together, uh, even beyond today. Have some time of prayer together, praying for our church, praying for. Um, those who are, are still obviously sick among us. And uh, we look forward to being back together. And so uh, if you have prayer requests or anything, uh, please you know, let us know. Continue to email as some of you have been. Um, and um, we'll just continue to pray uh, that the Lord will grant speedy recovery to those who are sick. And uh, my prayer today is that in all of the darkness in which we live, that we will actively bring the gospel uh, to all corners of, uh, you know, we will actively bring the gospel. Um, so anyway, uh, which is the light of Christ. So, um, well, look, it's, uh, almost an hour. So let me, let me let you all go this morning and, uh, let me have prayer and then we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Father, we thank you that, um, that we all were once in darkness, but Lord, we've been, in fact, I, when I begin to pray to you, Lord, I, I automatically, I think of Colossians chapter one, where uh, we learn the Bible teaches us that we have been transferred from a kingdom of darkness to this, to the kingdom of Christ. And so Lord, um, Lord Jesus, your word is light and your word is life. And Lord, every time that we proclaim the gospel, Lord, it brings life and light. And for Lord, for some, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for some people, it brings death. And we know that, Lord. Not everybody who hears the message of the truth 
is going to respond and receive the truth, Lord, because Jesus, as you taught, men love darkness rather than light. But Lord, we also know that as believers, we have the obligation and the mission to speak clearly the truth and the, and the gospel of light in this dark world, Lord, because Lord, it is through proclaiming the light that is how you gather in your harvest. It's how you gather in those, Lord, um, uh, through the ministries and the work of the church, Lord, you gather in your people, Lord, through the preached word. And so, uh, and through the taught word and through the way that we expose, Lord, the light of the gospel in the dark places. And so I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to uh, not be a people that just uh, pride ourselves in avoiding things, but instead, Lord, it'll also help us, God, to, uh, to be a people, Lord, that will speak boldly, speak the truth, Lord, into the darkness of this world as well. And so, God, thank you for this word. Uh, thank you, Lord, that even though we were dead, and even though that we were asleep, Lord, you gave us the gospel, the light of the word of Christ shone upon us, Lord. And even though we tried to hide from you, we tried to hide from your word, God, instead, you stripped us down. You, Lord, you made us, you exposed us, Lord. You, we were naked and bare and ashamed of our sins. And Lord, you then, Lord, helped us to understand how we can be made righteous through, this, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and through faith in him. And Lord, you raised us up into new life. And so God, thank you for new birth. Thank you for new life that all came through the light of the gospel, the light of truth. So Lord, um, I praise you uh, for this word. I praise you for this text. Um, forgive me, Lord, for not doing a very good job with it this morning. But God, uh, I pray that, uh, that your, your word this morning, Lord, will uh, go out, not return void, be effective. And that the light of the truth, Lord, uh, will uh, help dispel any darkness that resides uh, this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.